In case you don't know me, my name is Nielsen. I'm the next generation pastor here at Big Sky Christian Fellowship. And today I'm going to be sharing about our second purpose of the year, our second focus, which is the next generation. So how can we, as the church, as followers of Jesus, be an impression of God and His ways and His heart to the next generation? I'm going to be reading from Deuteronomy 6, 4-9 this morning. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Impress them on your children. Impress them on your children. So what are some of the greatest challenges facing the next generation? Leaving the church in the faith. 70 to 75% of Christian youth leave the church after high school. A recent Barna study says that teenagers today are the most non-Christian generation in American history as only 4 out of 100 teens hold a true biblical worldview. This study indicates that 35% of Generation Z teens born from 1999 to 2015 considered themselves to be atheist, agnostic, or not affiliated with any religion. Only 4%, again, of Generation Z held a biblical worldview. And there's drug and alcohol use. Approximately 50% of teens have misused drugs, prescription, or illicit at least once in their life. 63% of high school students reported that they have drunk alcohol at least once in their life. And there's suicide and mental health. Depression affects about 20% or 1 in 5 of adolescents. Or by the time they become adults, 20%. And suicide is the second leading cause of death for ages 10 to 24. The second leading cause of death for ages 10 to 24. And there's sexuality and pornography. In 2015, 41% of high school students reported having sexual intercourse. Nine out of ten boys and six out of ten girls are exposed to pornography online before the age of 18. And the first exposure to pornography among boys is 12 years old on average. 71% of teens have done something to hide their online activity from their parents. And 20% of 16-year-olds and 30% of 17-year-olds have received a sext. And then there's sexual assault. One in nine girls and one in 53 boys under the age of 18 experience sexual abuse or assault at the hands of an adult. 82% of all victims under 18 are female. And females ages 16 to 19 are four times more likely than the general population to be victims of rape, attempted rape, or sexual assault. And lastly, and very importantly, is loneliness and isolation the lack of authentic community. 
A nationwide survey by the health insurer Cigna finds that loneliness is widespread in America with nearly 50% of respondents reporting that they feel alone or left out always or sometimes. 50% of people feel alone or left out always or sometimes. More than half of survey respondents, 54%, said they always or sometimes feel that no one knows them well. So how, how, do, how do those numbers make us feel as a church, as parents, as relatives? I think some of you lean in because you're curious and you're, and you're interested to hear more. Um, some of you probably don't want to hear anymore. Maybe a little bit afraid for your kids and for the adolescents and the youth in your lives. There's a bunch of different responses probably from all of us in this room. And really, I hope, I hope these numbers aren't just numbers. I hope they create a sense of urgency in all of our hearts, in all of our lives, that something needs to happen and something needs to be done for the next generation. And let's remember that these aren't just numbers. These are real people, kids in our town, in our schools, kids in this church possibly right now. These numbers have faces and those hearts, those emotions and experiences to these, to these statistics this morning. Let's remember that these are our children in the community. They belong to us. And I find it interesting that the words from Deuteronomy that I read to start were spoken in the context of a wandering and waiting generation in Israel before entering the Promised Land. That was the context of those words. They were waiting and wandering in the wilderness and I have to wonder, in many ways, is not the next generation a wandering, waiting, and lost generation? Many of them, right? These words, those words in Deuteronomy matter for the next generation and for us. In many ways, is not the next generation a wandering, waiting, lost generation? And we have to look at the roots of these problems and challenges, um, not just the symptoms. Those numbers aren't really the primary focus here, right? It's what's at the root of that? What's, what's causing that? What's driving that? I think it really comes down to its worth and value and belonging and being loved. That's what, the, that's what the next generation is looking for. Those are the questions they're asking. I really think all of us, especially adolescents and youth, are asking, do I matter to somebody? Do I have worth and value in life? And where does that come from if I do? They're asking, do I matter? to somebody, to some God, to some person. I remember being in middle school, those, some of those dark years, asking those questions, feeling some of that depression, and like, do I matter? Do I have value? Does anyone care about me? Do I have worth in life? I remember trying to find places where I matter, trying to find community. I remember, um, there's a little known fact, maybe some of you know, I used to play in a bunch of bands, actually metal bands, through high school, which you might not know about me. Yes, I played in a bunch of metal bands. It was really fun. Um, um, and I remember I found, I found belonging. I found community in those places. I felt accepted. I felt like I was loved. I felt um, like I mattered in that subculture, in that subgroup. And really, that's what's driving the heart of this matter, is, is people and youth and adolescents asking that question, and especially in this town, Right? where they're finding a subculture or something to gravitate towards, or getting high or getting drunk with their friends, like they're trying to find a way to either get rid of that question or answer the question, right? 
Because I did the same thing when I was that age. I'm still doing the same thing, but especially when I was that age, right? So the big question today is how can we as the church, as individuals in the church, um, be Jesus to the next generation? As it says in Deuteronomy, how can we impress the heart and the ways of God upon our children, and they belong to us, right? All these children of this community belong to us. How can we impress the ways of God on them? And how do we tell them and show them that you matter? Not just in a shallow way, but that you matter and have eternal value and importance and significance and worth because God made you and he didn't make a mistake when he made you. How do we show them and tell them that you matter? Because, guess what, church? The children of this town, of this church, they belong to us as a community. And we have a collective responsibility to impress a true, holistic image of God on the next generation. A collective responsibility to impress a true, holistic image of God on the next generation. Not just the parents, not just those who are in close contact to the next generation. All of us have that responsibility in this community, right? Because the only true life and freedom for them is found in the ways and the heart of God. It's the only answer to these driving problems and the heart issue of this problem. And I want us to ask ourselves, after hearing some of these statistics and this information, what will we do as a church and as individuals and how will we respond to these challenges and especially to this heart issue driving these challenges and these problems with the next generation, the things that they're facing? How are we going to respond? And I don't mean to be heavy this morning, but this is important, right? This is important if only 4% of the next generation has a true biblical worldview, and maybe only 4% are truly following God in a very serious way. These things are really important to talk about. So what are some of the best ways we as a church can help the next generation come alongside them, encourage them, and impress God upon them? Francis Schaeffer said, Each generation of the church in each setting has the responsibility of communicating the gospel in understandable terms. You have to preach the simple gospel so that it is simple to the person to whom you are talking, or it is no longer simple. The dilemma of modern man, and I would say the dilemma of today's next generation, is simple. He doesn't know why man has any meaning. He is lost. Man remains zero. This is the damnation of our generation in the heart of man's problem. Again, coming back to the heart of the issue, is there meaning to my life? Is there meaning to my life? We have to communicate that there is, and how can we do that? First, our response has to look like that of Jesus in Matthew 9. It says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. I think it's clear that today there is a harvest of of, uh, lost kids, lost youth in the next generation. This, This verse applies very specifically to this next generation. And we have a collective responsibility towards this generation and being the workers in that harvest, right? So what are we to do? First, and very importantly, it's you need to give time. There is no shortcut. 
for time. There's no shortcut, no way to bypass the need for the next generation to get our time. And um, Brian and I have talked about this, uh, this this week, and he made a great point. And when we give time, we need to be present. So we can give time and be in our phones. We can give time and be half present. But man, when we give time, we have to be all there and all present. There's no shortcut for that. And don't just give your time. Give yourself, give your heart, give your attention, and especially your tears when they're needed. Give all of that when you're spending time with someone of the next generation. And, oh man, Brian said this this week, and it was so good. He said, uh, I'm going to steal it from him. He gave permission to do that. Um, and he said it before, I think. Um, the next generation, uh, an individual, a youth, they don't need another activity. They need you. They need your presence and your time and your investment. There's no substitute for you as an individual investing in someone from the next generation. They don't need another activity. God knows we have enough of those, especially in church. Let's be honest. They need your presence. And I'm going to pick on some of us a little bit because I've done this. I'm going to lean in and say, we cannot use come to church as a cop-out for not doing our job as an individual. Come to my youth group, come to my activity, come to where I am. That's no excuse. We have to go to them where they are. We can't just say, come to church and everything will be fine. I've done my job. You might not have done your job. Maybe. I hope they, I hope all the kids in this town come to church. Don't hear me wrong. But it's, it's probably going to first require you to go where they are before they come here. Because let's be honest, how many kids in this town want to come to a church service? We all know that number is probably pretty small. But man, if we can get past that and go to them and show them the reality of this, how many more are going to want to be a part of this community, right? So let's not try to shortcut or make excuses for being Jesus to them in their, in their lives and their space. And like I just said, this requires us to go to them where they are. Um, and it, it's kind of like when I went to with Brian to the school for the first time this school year. It's super uncomfortable. It's super weird. I felt like a freshman walking into his high school for the first day. It was weird. It was. It didn't feel great. It was. It was. I felt really awkward. But guess what? Like, I keep going back, and it gets easier and easier to go back every time I go back. And if Jesus came to us because of how much He loved us. I mean, man, don't we have the same responsibility to go to them if we love them? If that was the model, if he came to us because of love, how much more do we need to go to them where they are because of love? Don't expect them to come to you first. Go to them first. Let's create safe places and communities. Let's be, as an individual, a safe place and a safe community for the next generation. Next, you need to be authentic. You need to be people of authenticity. I think we all know that youth have a high BS meter, right? Can I say that in church? Youth have a high, high bullcrap meter, I'll put it that way. Um, they can read through inauthenticity, right? They can read through the fluff, the fake stuff. You need to be real with the next generation. Let's not be fake. Let's not be fake churchy people. Let's be real as Christians. Don't just throw out bad answers and these glib responses, these one-liners. Um, let's be honest about what we don't know in our faith, in our Christianity. Um, 
Let's be honest about it when we don't have answers to something. They ask us, let's try, try to make something up. Let's be honest about our own doubts and struggles in our own lives, in our own faith, to a certain extent, obviously. But let's be real with the next generation. And I think this often requires us to listen before we speak. We need to listen before we speak to be authentic. We need to empathize with people of the next generation before throwing out a bunch of Bible verses or quick fixes or like, let me just tweak this and tweak that. You'd be this verse and everything will be fine. That's not how it works. We all know that, right? We know that's not how it works in life. If we just let them be heard and show them they have a voice, how much more willing are they going to be to listen to what we have to say? Let's hear them first. Let's empathize. Let's be authentic. And then next, third, we need to give the next generation love and truth. Truth and love. There must be both. There's a lot of confusion around what does love really mean? What does truth really mean? There's a lot of nuance. There's a lot of kind of mist surrounding that. Let's show them, let's show them real truth and true love. And this is tough. This is tough because if we truly love the next generation, we're not just going to let them or want them to stay where they are, right? Because that isn't real love, right? Because if we truly love the next generation, we're going to give them truth, we're going to give them Jesus. And this means not just the comforting and encouraging, which is the easy thing to give, but we're going to give them the hard and the challenging. We're going to maybe challenge their lifestyle sometimes, we're going to challenge their decisions, because if God loves us enough to want our obedience, knowing that's the best way to live, then we as the church need to give them the hard and the challenging and challenge them to think about more about obeying God rather than just the emotional response or the easy stuff. And let's not beat around the bush or explain it away. Um, God does want our obedience. And if we really love the next generation, we're going to be clear about that when the time is right. God wants our obedience, and we know that when we say that, we're pointing them towards the best way to live when we say that to them because we love them. And we're not going to just hopefully let anything slide in the life of someone we're investing in because we love them enough to tell them, man, I think this is a better way. So we need to give love and truth. I'm going to steal a little bit, a little comment that Courtney made this past week. Um, and I think it applies to this. It, and, and we need to be honest about, um, Jesus didn't say it'd be easy, but he said it'd be worth it. The, the next generation needs to know that Jesus didn't say it'd be easy, but he says it'll be worth it. And I love when my friend said that this week. I think it rings so true. And we can be honest about it because we know that this is the most fulfilling way to live and we can tell them that doing it God's way is the best way to live. The most fulfilling way to live. So let's give our time, let's give authenticity, and let's give love and truth to the next generation. And I want to just briefly... Um, Talk about a few ways we as the church in Big Sky, Big Sky Christian Fellowship, are investing in the next generation. First, uh, we're giving internationally in Uganda to a place um, called Kasozi, Kasozi Primary School and Medical Clinic. Um, there's over 150 kids at this primary school in Uganda who are getting education and getting three meals a day, getting a safe place to live. Many of them are orphaned, um, or at least partially orphaned. And we're going to be giving towards this significantly in the next year financially and by sending more teams over there. We're giving 
towards the next generation internationally in Uganda. And I've been there, and it's an incredible ministry to see um, our gifts at work halfway around the world with kids who came from little to nothing, from some really bad situations. So we're investing in the next generation in Uganda, and we're going to continue to, continue to do so for the years to come. And we're also invest, investing here locally in Big Sky. Um, we have base camp every Sunday for the K-5 through kids, thanks for our wonderful volunteers. We're getting to hear about Jesus and being a safe place, and giving parents a little break maybe um, Sunday mornings. Um, and we're beginning middle school and high school meetings officially this next week. And we're creating, again, a safe community for the next generation to, to hear about God, to discuss their faith, to grow, to be discipled, to be mentored. Um, so those are two ways, um, a few ways that we're investing in the next generation internationally and locally here in Big Sky. I just want to throw out a few ways that you as an individual can invest in the next generation right here in this town. Very easy, practical ways. First, mentorship and discipleship. This is so important, right? Some of my most, um, my most some of the times I've grown the most over the years and developed the most of my faith are through these one-on-one mentorship relationships where someone just took time with me once a month or once every other month and just showed me I mattered and that I had a voice. This is a, an amazing, incredible way to invest in the next generation. Find one person of the next generation. Meet with them just once a month, once every other month. Invest in their lives. Disciple them. And if you don't have someone to, to do that with, I'm sure I could easily connect you with someone who wants that since I'll be around kids all the time um, from here on out. So if you want to do that, we can find someone for you to disciple and mentor you can become a cap mentor at the school one hour a week during lunch or after school. Spend time with one of those kids. What a way to go to their world on their turf and invest in them by giving them your time. You can help out with our middle school or high school gatherings, just a little drop. Um, you don't have to commit to every single week of every month, but you can always use more hands and hearts and ears and just people who are available to invest. And most importantly, um, being a good impression of God as a, as a parent, I, I live with parents, I'm going to pick on Jeremy and Sarah, and I see that the most profound way they can impact the next generation is by being Jesus to their own kids, by being an impression of God on their own kids, and I know many, many couples in this, in this town who are parents, and my own life was most formed by my parents' impression of God upon me. So you parents, even though I'm not one, I can't speak, I don't have a lot of right to talk about parenting, but I know from what I see, from what I've experienced, it's the most profound way that, that kids in the next generation get that impression and that image of God implanted on their lives. Whether you're a parent, whether you are an aunt, an uncle, a sibling, a grandma or a grandpa, a coach like Brian is to basketball and Ben Holst and Adam Parr, whether you're a teacher in some capacity, a leader, Lucas is with middle schoolers and high schoolers in the school with Young Life, there are so many capacities to invest in the next generation. I encourage you to find your own, pick something, follow through with it. And then, most significantly, 
what's the best thing we can do? It's, it's, it's pray. We can pray. Because Jesus did say, as I read earlier, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. Prayer is the most important thing we can do for the next generation. We need to pray for our children in this community because they belong to us. And I think we need nothing less than a move of God and the Holy Spirit to change hearts and minds. There's really no way we can create a response. We can create a transformation. We have to pray for God to do that. that, that that's what it takes. Nothing short of a move of God on the next generation. And the beautiful thing is that we can find a way to be a part of that answer, right? We don't get to just pray. We get to respond. We get to be a part of the answer to our own prayers and the prayers of others for the next generation. So pray and be an answer to your own prayer. Find out what that looks like. Because if, if it's true that nearly half of Americans accept Jesus as their Savior before age 13. That's a lot of people. And two of three born-again Christians make that commitment before 18. Wow, what a responsibility. Our investment in the next generation is of the utmost eternal importance. Not just important, it's eternally important. If those numbers are right. That's some big numbers. This is really important. And I don't mean to be so serious, but it is serious. It is important. And I want to finish by sharing a story of a kid that I was able to invest in back home in Pennsylvania, where I'm from. I'm just going to kind of read this to you. I want you to think about it, and I'm going to give you a challenge after I read it. So this, this, this guy's name was Colton. I spent time with Colton, who was then in high school a few years ago on and off for around a year. His father had left him and his mom and his three sisters when he was just a child. And I could see how often he suffered throughout his teenage years from the wounds of being abandoned by his dad. So he grew up in a Christian family, but he had all but abandoned his religion, walked away from God and Christianity. And he's doing what a lot of kids do, you know, not to, not to make light of it, but he was, you know, smoking cigarettes and getting high a lot and doing other drugs and sleeping around with different girls. And he was doing what teenage guys do when they're lost, right? He got in trouble with the law even a few times um, for one reason or another. But again, at the root of it all, he was, I think, just lost and broken. He was wounded, he was wandering around, he was waiting for something. He was asking, do I matter? Do I have value and worth in life? He wasn't getting much investment from other Christians, a little bit, but I don't even think he wanted it. I don't think he wanted Christians running into his life trying to change him. Uh, kids his age who were Christians mostly um, kept their distance if they knew anything about him. They weren't really that interested in spending time with this guy because he was that kind of classic bad influence. You know, for those Christian kids in my circles. So, so whenever I had the chance, we would go out and eat somewhere together. And mind you, I wasn't giving him every week. I wasn't giving him a ton of time. Just once a month or once every other month, I was just making effort and say, hey, let's go grab breakfast. Let's go grab food somewhere. And I would just give him my time and my presence. I would just listen to him without judgment or attempting to answer all of his questions or attempting to fix him. 
I would just share a table with them. As Jesus so did so well, he shared tables with people that weren't kind of up to par according to those social standards. So I would just try to do the same thing with Colton. I would just share a table with him. And that's with no questions asked. I would try to be authentic. I wouldn't make up answers. I wouldn't gloss over the pain and the reality of his experience. I wouldn't try to make him believe anything I believed. I wouldn't try to change him. I would just be with him. I would give him my presence. And and in love, I would be clear about what I believe to be the truth. I would be clear about what I know of God and his love for us, about what I thought was best for Colton. But I did this in unconditional love. It didn't change the way that I treated him. It didn't change the way that I looked at him, whether he responded or not. And importantly, most importantly, I, along with others who loved him, prayed. We prayed and prayed, knowing it would take nothing short of a move of the Holy Spirit to change his heart. There's no other way someone's heart's change. It has to be the Holy Spirit. And uh, a great thing happened. So sometime after I moved out here to Montana a few years ago, I received some incredible news from my dad, who knows Colton's family. Colton had had a, a supernatural encounter with God. I, I don't know how it happened. He experienced God as something of a dream or a vision. And he, he started following Jesus. We saw something happen. Something happened after we seized the finally and after these prayers were prayed. And my dad began to mentor and disciple him, consistently helping him through these rough patches, these highs and lows, these struggles and questions of being a new Christian. Um, currently, he's still pursuing God, and more and more people have come into his life to walk with him on this new journey. In, in being far away, there's not much I can do from here. Um, but I'm so thankful for that short season I had with, with this guy, Colton. I'm so thankful I was able to to go to him where he was and be an impression of God on him in his world, even if he didn't necessarily want it. And ultimately, I'm convinced that it was prayer that brought Paul to Jesus, but I trust that some of the time I spent with him, some of the investment I made, some of the seeds that God allowed me to plant paved the way for his response. I really hope that God gives me that. So I challenge you today to find a Colton or your Colton in your life, whatever that looks like. I challenge you to be the church to them in their world, in their space. You go where they are and be an impression of Jesus to them in that world. Because guess what? The best thing we can give the next generation is Jesus. That's the best thing we can give the next generation. You don't have to give them anything else, but if you just give them Jesus, you've made a difference. You brought one more person to the family. And we can't lose this generation. You can't lose this generation. 4% is not enough, right? God wants them all. So let's ask God to reveal himself as only he can do, and we need to discover our part as laborers in the harvest. So let's let's quick pray and then sing our last song. God, today I just ask for your help as a as a church, as the church, as individuals in reaching the next generation. And I pray, God, that you would just forgive us for being apathetic and passive about reaching the next generation. 
Forgive us for being critical and skeptical of the next generation, Lord. I pray that you would turn our hearts around, that you would give us your eyes. Give us your heart. Give us even your emotions. Give us tears, God. And I pray that you would do what only you can do for the next generation, God. That you would do what only you can do for the next generation. Show us how to be a part of bringing them to you, Lord. 